Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. I'm the senior pastor for the chapel congregation here, and we have been preaching for about 15 weeks through the Psalms. How many of you have been here for most of our our series? I know a lot of you have, a lot of familiar faces. God bless you. As always, uh, there's always people who's only been here a few months because we just got through the summer, and I know for a fact that we have people in this room uh, who are leaving, uh, like uh, the the Chaplain Burris family that we recognized just a few weeks ago, and we prayed for, for Chaplain Burris and his family, and Zoe, who's been playing a keyboard with us for several months now is, uh, was her last Sunday playing with us. Zoe, God bless you and family. God bless y'all as y'all. PCS, somebody's coming and somebody's always going and we're just glad to be here together today. It's been a joy to preach through this psalm series, this Melodies of Faith. I've enjoyed hearing all of our team just preach together and, and share God's word uh, going through the book of Psalms. I think, I was looking back, I think we did about 15 of them if I remember right, and you could go back and you could preach a whole other series through psalms with different uh, psalms, and I think you'd get a whole different uh, set of sermons and, and things for life as we look at the melodies of faith. But today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 150, which is why I had you sing that little children's song that maybe some of y'all remember as a child. I know I, I did. That is what the psalmist does at the end of the book. This is the sort of the last summit, if you think of the Psalms as a mountain chain. You know, we got mountains in Hawaii. This is sort of the last summit peak of the Psalms. And it is, as one person said, bathed in the sunlight of the eternal world of worship. Spurgeon said that each of the last five Psalms, which we read Psalm 149, and in just a moment we'll read 150, but the last five, if you go back and read them, he said this, they begin and end with a doxology Hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. And each psalm, it increases in praise and love and joy unto the last, which is praise, celebrating its ecstasy. And it's almost as if when you read the last five of the psalms, it is almost as if the psalmist just can't wait to get to the next word. He's in haste to utter his next hallelujah. It's like he can't he can't, he can't say it enough. It's like a little child who's super excited and they just, they just can't go, they can't say enough to express how excited they are. Have you ever watched a, a fireworks display and, and noticed what, what, most, what most of the time when we do these displays, what do we try to do? We, we have some cool fireworks going for, you know, 20 minutes or whatever, then what happens at the end? It's the grand finale. And you'll be watching, and you, is that the grand finale? But when it happens, you go, Okay, this is the big one. And if it's, if it's got a lot of, well, honestly, it costs money to do fireworks. So if it's, they've got a big bankroll, what will happen is they bought a bunch of fireworks. And the grand finale will just, oh, oh, wow, this is the grand finale. But a big grand finale, five minutes later, you're still going, oh, wow, we are still in this grand finale moment. We just, it's just fireworks for days. That's what the end of the Psalms does with this idea of praise ye the Lord. This is what the entire Old Testament has been pointing to. When I was studying Psalm 150, I couldn't help but look back. I'll read this verse to you. You don't have to turn there. But in Exodus, Moses said, again, he was 
Words of the Lord. He said, let my people go. He said that to Pharaoh. Why? So that they may worship me. God said, I want you to let my people go so they may worship me in the the desert. The Psalms climax with this magnificent doxology. And that gives me hope right off the bat because you and I, as as we've heard God's word preached through Psalms, we've talked about laments. We've talked about what do we do when we are wronged. We've talked about what, what do we do when someone's after us trying to kill us like David. What do we do when things don't go right? What do we do when we sin and we need forgiveness? All of those things in no way eclipse the command to praise the Lord. You and I were made for praise, and the melodies of faith that we've been preaching through, the entire direction of the Psalms points us to that praise. And with that, let's read Psalm 150 together. And I just encourage you to keep it open, and we'll refer to it throughout our message this morning. Beginning in verse 1, he says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Some translations say praise Him with resounding cymbals. Verse number 6, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the melodies of faith. This is the conclusion of the melodies of faith. As we look at this psalm and as we think about how the entire book of psalms, all 150 of them, climax with this idea of praise, I think there's some some conclusions that you and I can see that will help us as we wrap up our time in psalms. And I want to give you four of them this morning. Number one is this. When you look at verse 1, Number one, you praise God everywhere. Number one, the lesson is you praise God everywhere. He says what? He says in two places specifically, he says, praise God in his sanctuary and praise him in the the mighty heavens. The psalmist is, is using this poetic language to say, praise God everywhere. That word there, praise God in his sanctuary, as I was studying it, some could translate it, like praise him in his holiness, as in he is holy. But also, I think how this English translation I read out of the English Standard Version, praise God in his sanctuary, that is his holy, his holy place, a designated place. Praising God is a, is a command. It, it, is a, it is a call for us to, to, to worship him in specific times. By the way, you know what that means? And this is the classic example of preaching to the choir. God is commanding us to gather together for worship. There may be people listening to this message who aren't here with me. Maybe you're listening online. Guess what God's commanding you to do? To praise Him in His sanctuary. Modern day application is there needs to be specific times when you gather with God's people to worship. And by the way, this is not God saying, gee, I hope you come to church today. So the chaplain's like, we... 
uh, it's kind of a funny thing that happens is we like to know how many people come to chapel. If you know anything about preachers, that's, we kind of want to know. And, and sometimes a chaplain assistant will count the numbers. Our numbers are always about 150 more people in chapel than the chaplain assistant because we're always like, oh, yeah, there was thousands of people in chapel today because we, 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 we hope people come. Well, God wants us to come too, but this is not so much God begging and pleading. God is saying, praise God. That's a command. It's an imperative. Praise God in his sanctuary. I can't think of a better time than right here before Thanksgiving and right here before the holidays than God's people say, you know what, God, I'm going to get serious with praising you in your sanctuary by, by committing myself and my family to worshiping you together. But it's not just praising God in the sanctuary. It's, it's praising God in the, in the, mighty, in the mighty heavens. It, it's praising God in the expanse, as one another translation says. I can't help but think, but just a couple of weeks ago, Chaplain Thompson, we were in Psalm 139. Since we're really close, I just invite you to flip back just a few chapters, and let's look at that again together, Psalm 139, just to remind us about this truth about our God. Look at Psalm 139, verse 7. We'll flip back to Psalm 150 in just a minute. But go back and see what it says. He says, in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere and God commands us to give him praise everywhere at all times. And God is everywhere. When, when I was a youth pastor, there was a little kid in the neighborhood. He only ever saw me at church. So one day at church, he asked me, he said, hey, Mr. Daniel, I think they said Mr. Daniel. Mr. Daniel, where, where's your bed? I said, oh, it's at my house. And he said, uh, he said, no, where is it? He was looking around. In his mind, he thought that I lived at the church building because that, that's what he thought. Well, sometimes we have people who think that God sort of lives at a, at a church facility. No, God's certainly in our presence when we worship, but guess what? God's everywhere. The psalmist teaches us that. Praise God everywhere. Now, number two, he, he says why we should praise God. Point number two is this. Praise God for what he has done and for who he is. Point number two, praise God for what he's done and for who he is. Look at Psalm 150 again. Look at verse number two. He says those two things. Number one, praise him for his mighty deeds. There it is. But then also praise him according to his excellent greatness, who he is and what he has done. The mighty deeds that God has done. This is referring to God's great work of redemption that we see all the way back in Genesis when God reached out to Adam and Eve after they sinned, as God called Abraham, as God reached out to the children of Israel and brought them out of, out of Egypt, as God saw them through the promised land. As you read through the whole Old Testament, as you see God taking care of David and raising David up, it's all about his redemptive story. This pops up through, throughout the Psalms. I want you to go back, and I want you to flip to Psalm 145, because it starts this same language about the mighty deeds of God. Look at Psalm 145 and go to verse number 5. And we'll come back to Psalm 150 in just a minute. 
He says this about God in 145 verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And look what it says. Here's what he's done. He's made the heavens, the earth, the sea, all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Here's some other things he does. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens up the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, and loves the righteous. God is, God is the creator. By the way, that is why the concept of evolution and taking God out is so treacherous. Because if we say everything happened by chance, we are not accountable to a creator. And mark it down, I think scripturally that's part of what some of that's about. God is to be praised because of what he has done. He is the creator. We owe everything to him. Philippians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but remember what Paul said. He said, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Revelation chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but remember in Revelation there's this scene from the throne room of heaven where it talks about the lamb standing as if slain, and in Revelation 5 it says, Worthy are you, that is Jesus, to take the scroll. Why? Because you were slain by your blood, and you ransomed people for God from every language, every tribe, every nation. In other words, they're praising Jesus because of what he has done, because of his great salvation. We praise God because of what he's done. But also we praise God because of who he is. It says, praise him according to his excellent greatness back in Psalm 150, verse 2. His excellent greatness. If you go back to Psalm 145 one more time, I want to point this out. Psalm 145 in verse 1, it says, I will extol you, or some translations say exalt, you my God and King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. Look at verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the passage later on, it's ascribing praise to God because of what he's done. But in verse 3, it just simply says, by virtue of who he is, he is worthy and we are commanded to praise him just by sheer who he is. God deserves inherently to be praised. Another, another verse in Psalm says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. In other words, he's just simply do it because of who he is. There is no way in the world to overpraise the Lord. You're familiar with the concept of hyperbole. In older generations, they would say things like, It's raining cats and dogs. Remember that? Well, we don't really mean that. Skinny as a rail. Old as, I remember, old as the hills. One of my favorites in the army, if it ain't raining, we ain't training. I've, I've trained in the rain, but praise the Lord, sometimes I train when it's nice and sunny, so we don't really mean we only train in the rain. It's just a, just a way for us to commiserate with our misery and talk about how awesome it was later on, those kind of things. Oh, that cost an arm and a leg. My favorite in the modern day is, I have no idea what this means, but I just can't even... And then the sentence just sort of ends. I'm not cool enough to understand what that means. Maybe some of y'all can help me understand that later. Such and such is my favorite. I love to eat 
And I've been known to say things like, this is the best meal I've ever had. I can't possibly keep up with all the thousands of meals I've ever had, but whatever I was given recently, that's the best meal I've ever, I've ever had. I remember just a couple years ago, it was fill in the blank is everything. Oh, that dress, that's everything. Well, obviously, it can't be everything. There's a lot of reasons. It cannot, in, in, existentially, it can't be everything, but that's, that's what I've heard people say. This cheesecake is everything. Well, just eat cheesecake and just see what happens to you. I mean, you can. That's what we say. That's a way. We don't really mean it's everything. Hyperbole. Just exaggeration. But let me say this. Keep this in mind. Because of what God has done and because of who God is, you cannot offer hyperbolic praise to God. You can praise and you can praise and you can praise and you can pile it on and pile it on out of the depths of your soul and you won't even begin to touch or scratch the surface of the command to praise the Lord. You cannot overpraise God. You praise God for what he's done and you praise God for who he is. Well, point number three is this, and we're going to see it at the next few verses in Psalm 150. You praise God with everything you have. And these are verses 3, 4, and 5. I want you to look at them. They name instruments, don't they? It talks about praising him with a trumpet, a lute. To be honest with you, full disclaimer, I forgot what a lute is. I'm so embarrassed, but it's, it's an, some, oh, somebody's helping me. Like a, like a shape harp. There we go. Thank you very much. Lute and harp. Tambourine and dance, strings and pipe, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. What I did find out, this was interesting to me, is that a lot of these instruments weren't necessarily tied to the worship in the, in the, in the temple or the, or the synagogue at this time. A lot of these instruments were tied to other things, like weddings, like great national uh, religious celebrations that Israel would do and specifically also military victories. What I see in this passage is I see a lot of instruments. I see a lot of stuff about noise. So there you go, Brother Mark, you can play drums loud. That's what it says in the Bible, so just play away. But on a greater scale, what I think it's trying to say is praise God with everything you have. In other words, just sort of grab it all and use everything you can come up with to praise the Lord. Praise him with everything you have. Part of, by the way, corporate worship, part of singing is putting everything you have into it. The point of singing, I think according to the scriptures, is to express what you and I believe about God with our desire to worship God from the, from the depths of our being. Paul talks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're to, we're to worship God with everything that we have. I think to help us see this and understand this, I want to show you a passage of scripture in the New Testament. Uh, Hold your place in Psalm 150 and turn with me or use your uh, phone or whatever you're using to look at God's word this morning. Turn to Romans chapter 12 and I want you to see Romans chapter 12, just a couple of verses there that I think talk about this concept of, of worshiping God with everything you have. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it begins this way. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, or some translations, I beseech you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Praise God with everything that we have. It should, it should be life-transforming. We should be more like the image of Christ because we praise the Lord with everything that we have. We won't turn there, but 1 Corinthians 10 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, what does it say? Do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Now turn back with me in Psalm chapter 150. Give everything that you have to your worship. A man by the name of John Frame, he's one of my favorite theologians to, to read sometimes, he said this about music. He said, music is especially important in worship because God delights in it. We know he loves it because he commands us to make music. That's what he does here. He delights in the vividness and memorability with which music conveys his word. You ever notice if you listen to Christian songs that carry God's word, guess what you're doing? You're learning God's word. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Case in point. It gets into our hearts, and God uses music to help that. John Frame says this, He delights when believers have that deep heart knowledge of himself, which music encourages, and he delights in the melodies, the harmonies, the timbers, and the rhythms themselves, for he created them to glorify himself and to edify his people. So when you come to church corporately, to sing, I encourage you to sing. Sing out. Sing out. Sing out. I used to have a shirt, real men sing loud. You know, sing out. Praise the Lord with everything you have. Yes, sing out, but also we praise the Lord with our whole being and it should outflow from our hearts and into our actions. Now, point number four is this. It's very simple. Praise God everyone. This is a simple message because the message in this psalm is very simple. Look at verse number six. Let everything that has breath, I can't think of a clearer way to cover everybody. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then he hits us with another praise the Lord because he started with the praise the Lord. Just in case you're wondering, he wants you to praise the Lord. But everything that has breath, praise the Lord. I can't help but go back to Psalm 148. You barely have to turn. Just look at it. It's another way of saying the same thing. But look how he starts in verse number one and let it sink into your heart. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. Just in case you were wondering, <clears throat> who else should praise the Lord? Go down to verse number 11. Kings of the earth, all the peoples, princes, all the rulers of the world. That's people who's in charge. What about age, though? Look at verse 12. Young men and maidens together, old men and children, 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, and his majesty is above the earth and the heavens. Can he be any clearer that he really is serious about everybody praising the Lord? And do you know what that means when I see this verse? That means that this psalm is missional. What I mean by that is that when you read the Psalms, the whole point of all this is for people to worship the Lord. God is calling you and God is calling me not just to praise Him, but to be a part of telling others about Him so that they too can worship the Lord. I want you to hold your place in Psalm 150, and we're going to look at one other place in the Psalms because I want you to see this, that the melodies of faith has been establishing this point the whole time. Go to Psalm chapter 96. Go to Psalm chapter 96. I want to point out a couple of things to you where he is making the point that God's people are called to make God's name known among the earth. Look at what he says. I don't think we preached on this one through our series that I remember. Psalm 96 verse 1 he says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord, here it is, all the earth. There's the everybody. Look at verse 2. He's telling us to tell of his salvation from day to day. There's your missions, there's your evangelism, there's your telling people about Jesus. Jesus talked about go and make disciples. There's the the foundation of it right there. Look at verse 3. Declare his glory where? Among the nations. God was telling Israel, I didn't just create you just for you. Go tell people about me. God's telling you and he's telling me when we read through the New Testament, he didn't just save you and me for for us. He said, now go let my name be known. Look at verse number 10 in Psalm 96. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. God is calling you and he's calling me to be a part of spreading his name throughout the world. Even more specifically, God is calling you and he's calling me to look around in our lives, to look in our families, to look at our loved ones, to look at the people we work with and ask the question, how can I help proclaim, praise the name of the Lord, help bring other people to praise the name of the Lord at this time? John Piper, in one of his books, I think it's Let the Nations Be Glad, he said, missions exist because worship does not. In other words, missions and telling people about Jesus and sending over, by the way, 100 Operation Christmas Child boxes, praise the Lord, we should give the Lord a hand for that. That's how many we've taken up. Sending those boxes around the world is missions. It is evangelism. I pray that that boys and girls and men and women all over the world are going to open those things and they're going to have an opportunity to know about Jesus. I praise the Lord, but that's not the ultimate goal. You know what the ultimate goal is? So that they will be a part of those who are the ones having breath, who are praising the Lord. I ran across a story that's several years old now, but there was a girl who grew up in a predominantly Muslim country who somehow some Christians gave her a cassette tape, I guess everybody knows what a cassette tape is, this is prior to CDs, and, and somebody had taken John MacArthur's sermons, and they had 
preach them in, in, in her language and use that as, a, and as an evangelism tool. And somehow, I believe through God's sovereignty, that she received those tapes and listened to the sermons. And I think MacArthur himself would also say it's not because it's his sermon. He's preaching the gospel. And she learned about Jesus and how she was a sinner and how she needed a savior and how she needed to place her faith in Jesus. And guess what? She did. And as she became a Christian, she wanted to serve the Lord and, and, and tell other people about Jesus. And somehow she got... I guess maybe through the tape, she found her way somehow to get the Master's Seminary, MacArthur and them Seminary, and she went there, and she studied the Bible, and she studied how to learn to be a missionary and all those things. Well, this girl at some point went home after maybe one of their, like, schools have a break, and she went home, and she had an uncle who was very angry, who was not happy with the fact that she became a Christian. In fact, he was so angry and aggressive that he got in an argument with her at, at the home and he took a chair leg and he broke that chair leg and he began to beat her and beat her and beat her. Her father came in on this scene and at least played the role of protecting her life and he did save her life, stopped the uncle from beating her, but then told her, daughter, you're not really our daughter anymore. You probably need to leave and never come back. Well, she finds her way back to the seminary, to, to MacArthur, Master Seminary out there. And John MacArthur, he found out about it. And he said, I want to talk to this girl, you know. And he, he's talking with her. And he asked her this question. He said, what was going through your mind as your uncle was beating you within an inch of your life? What were you, what was happening? And she said this. She said, my uncle had a religion that he would kill for, but I have a savior that I would die for. My uncle had a religion that he would kill for. I have a savior that I would die for. God calls people to himself. God saves people to bring them together to worship him. And that's the power of the gospel, and that's the kind of difference that God makes in your life and in mine. When we praise the Lord, when we understand at the end of the day all the troubles and the heartaches that we go through, when we realize at the end of the day God's commanding us and we praise the Lord, it brings us to a place where in many ways the presence of God becomes so real. Anger will drift away, pain will have no hold, and death will lack all power to sting. You and I need to be a part of what God is doing in this world and bringing people to him to fulfill verse number 6 in Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Some of you may have memorized what Paul said about that when he said, how can someone hear without someone preaching? How will they call who, in whom they have not believed? Well, remember what he said, how will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I can't think of a better thought during Thanksgiving. I can't think of a better thought right here on the heels of Advent season, which is upon us, than this question, who will you help connect to Christ this Christmas? As you see this phrase, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and as we bring psalms, melodies of faith to a close, 
Will you and I praise the Lord in such a way that it glorifies Him and brings others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we agree with the psalmist. There's so many statements where he says it. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. God, we want to ascribe to you the glory due your name, worship you, and the splendor of your holiness. God, may the melodies of faith, may the truths of the psalms permeate our hearts. May we be people who, through it all, our eyes are in fact turned on you. And at the end of the day, like the end of this great book, we just offer climactic praise to you. God, may we serve you with our lives. May we help connect others to you in the coming weeks. God, to you be the glory. We praise your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray these things. Amen.